If you'd open your Bibles tonight to Revelation chapter 9, and we're going to be looking tonight at verse 13 to 21, but I'm going to start at verse 12 because this is part of the woe judgment package. In verse 12 of Revelation 9, we read, The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel, who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. And I want you to notice this next statement here in verse 16. I heard the number of them. Now that solves a lot of theological questions, which we'll talk about in the exposition. But John said, I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouth proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. What a picture of human depravity that is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We read this text, and there's no doubt this world deserves what you're going to do to it in the tribulation. And we are just so grateful for the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to keep us out of it. We thank you for that. But we pray that as we go through this text of Scripture tonight, that you would minister to us in a very personal way, practical way. Certainly, I pray that we would be good defenders of the faith, and we would be, when you grant us opportunities, swift to warn others of their future destiny if they do not believe in the Lord. And I pray you do that work here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. It is stated later in this book of Revelation that Satan is a liar, he is a deceiver, and he's out to deceive the whole world. And many in this world are being deceived right now by Satan and his demonic forces. Many people think it's cute to dabble around astrology, read the horoscopes. Many people think it's just okay to play with a Ouija board or contact a fortune teller or go to some seance. It's just some innocent something to do. Those kinds of things will put you in contact with the demonic world, and demons are not your friends. And I also think there's a new thing that's coming out, and you're going to see more and more of this. There are going to be more and more of these movies about demons. More and more of these demonic things are going to start becoming prevalent on things that people look at. And people will just think, this is all innocent, this is all fine, this is just entertainment. But it's deadly. In the tribulation, God is going to pour out his wrath on the world in a way the world has never seen before, and he's going to use demons to do it. 
He is the one who's in sovereign control of that unseen world, and he's going to use that unseen world to carry out his wrath program in the tribulation. Now, the last three trumpet judgments are the worst of the judgments of God. The last three trumpet judgments are classified as woe judgments. And when you have a woe judgment in the book of Revelation, it's the worst. As we saw last time, that fifth trumpet judgment was a judgment of demonic torture. What God did is he actually allowed demons to come out of that abyss, and then he allowed them to go and torture people to the point where they wanted to die, but God wouldn't let them die. That was part of the tribulation judgment. He allowed demons to torture people, wouldn't let them commit suicide. Now, this sixth trumpet judgment is one of demonic death. And in this particular judgment of God, he's going to permit demons to kill people. That's what this judgment is. The sixth trumpet judgment will be a demonic slaughter of people by a demonically empowered military, the magnitude of which has never been seen anywhere in prior history. Now, there have been some major wars in history in which many people died. Back in AD 70, when the Romans invaded Jerusalem, it's estimated that a million Jews died. In the French religious wars between the Protestants and Catholics, two to four million people died. In World War I, from 1914 to 1918, 16 million people died. In World War II, from 1939 to 1945, 85 million people died. Those are big numbers. But those numbers are nothing compared to what's going to happen at this point in the tribulation. When this judgment occurs, the numbers will be astronomical. Now, there are four key six trumpet judgment observations we want to make from this text before us tonight. Sixth trumpet judgment observation number one, the sixth trumpet judgment is another woe judgment of the tribulation. And that's what we read in verse 12. As we've already mentioned, they're the most ferocious judgments of all. By virtue of the fact that this is woe judgment number two, it means it'll be more severe than woe judgment number one, but it won't be as severe as woe judgment number three. What we certainly learn by this is God is the one who's categorizing his own judgments. He determines precisely what the judgment is. He determines precisely when the judgment is executed. He determines the outcome of every single judgment that he permits to hit this world as he pours out his wrath. Sixth seal judgment observation number two. This sixth seal judgment is completely controlled and authorized by God. That's what we read in verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Now, the sixth trumpet judgment features another of God's angels at the throne of God. These are sacred judgments in the mind of God. They're being poured out by God coming directly out of heaven. Now, when the sixth angel sounds his trumpet, John heard a voice, and it is said specifically that the voice comes from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Now, the first grammatical thing I want to point out is that preposition from. This voice comes from, from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, because that preposition is the preposition ek. What I understand that to literally be saying is this voice actually literally comes out of those horns. Now, this altar that is at the throne of God, we got a glimpse of in Exodus 27 when we went through the book of Exodus. This altar that has four horns was a golden altar, was overlaid with gold. And then the four horns were overlaid with bronze. And we talked about what was the purpose of these four horns? What was the purpose of them? 
And there's just been a lot of discussion about what was the purpose of those four horns. And it was concluded that one of the purposes of the four horns is that when you brought those animals in the Old Testament economy to slaughter, you'd have to tie them up somewhere. I mean, for the fact that you're going to have to shed the innocent blood, you'd have to tie them off. And it's speculated that those horns were probably the place where you would actually tie off one of those animals. And we know that those animal sacrifices were all representative of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ would make. So what we learn here is when these horns are crying out, what is apparently happening in heaven is there is a memory of all of the blood sacrifices that have ever been offered, giving people an opportunity to be right with God, and specifically... There is the memory of the fact that here was Jesus Christ, who's in heaven, who shed his precious blood. All of those sacrifices pointed to that, and this voice cries out, coming right out of those horns. And we know that angelic voices occur often in this book of Revelation. And we conclude that this angel's voice is coming right out of this altar, from the horns of the altar. It's connected to the fulfillment of prayers that are made by God's people, And it's also interesting that we read in verse 13, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, this is the only judgment where the angel who blows the trumpet actually is involved in participating in carrying out the judgment of the trumpet. Now, for the past 2,000 years, God's people have been praying that God would come get his people. I mean, we pray that all the time in this church. Lord, come get us soon. We're looking for the rapture. We're looking to be caught up. We're not looking to go into this tribulation because we're not going to go into the tribulation. We've prayed that. And there have been multiple times when God's people have prayed to have him come get them and pour out his judgment on this God-mocking, Bible-hating world. Those prayers are in storage. Those prayers are in storage. And there will come a point when all of those prayers are going to be released. And when that moment comes at the throne of God, it is going to be the moment for God to answer all those prayers in his finale and pour out his judgments. And this will be one of them. This will be the woe judgment that will be an answer to the prayers. But talk about order and decency. Talk about decorum. Think about what is happening in heaven here that's about to unleash this judgment on earth. You have real formality here. You have God's throne, and then you have this altar with these horns there and you have angels that are present there and there's a real formality as to how this thing is going down i mean this is not just haphazard where god's just winging judgment i mean this is coming from the mind of god and it is deadly serious which brings us to the third observation the sixth trumpet judgment uses four specific angels verses 14 and 15 one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates and the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. I want you to notice that there, or you don't necessarily see this, but there is an article though before the noun angels. So we're talking here about specific angels other than angels that we've already seen. I honestly think that these are demonic angels and they are bound angels because you don't have any indication that any of the good angels or holy angels are ever bound. But they obviously are angels that are specific to this particular judgment. And there are three very important facts that are brought out about them. First of all, they're bound at the Euphrates River until judgment. Now what that tells us is they don't seem to be locked up in that abyss. 
I mean, that abyss where the key was given to that demonic king who released those demons from that abyss that we saw last time. I mean, these four angels here don't seem to be in that abyss. They seem to be bound at this location. By virtue of the fact they are bound, that's why we would conclude they're demons, because good godly angels are never bound. In fact, we saw four angels that were not bound earlier in Revelation chapter 7. And by virtue of the fact that they're bound at the Euphrates River, we specifically know that that's connected to Israel, and we're moving toward Israel, because the Euphrates River is the northeastern boundary of the promised land that God is going to one day give to Israel. You see, ladies and gentlemen, they don't get anywhere near that Euphrates now. Israel can't get anywhere near the Euphrates now. They don't have any bit of that land. It's all controlled by Arabs. So when you're saying to Israel, you know, the dimension of the land that you are going to get that's been promised to Abraham in the book of Genesis will run from about the middle of North Africa all the way to the Euphrates River. It's like you're talking a pipe dream to them. They have no concept they could ever have that much land, but that's the amount of land that God promised. And the Euphrates River, he mentions in Genesis, Deuteronomy, and Joshua, that is the boundary of the promised land. Well, Israel doesn't have that. She's never had that. The Euphrates River is the longest river in Western Asia. It's about 2,000 miles long. It flowed from the eastern end of the Roman Empire all the way to the Persian Gulf. And unless People see the importance of Israel and the dimensions of the promised land. Reading this text of scripture won't even make any sense. Because you say, why would they have angels bound at the Euphrates River? Because, ladies and gentlemen, there's coming a time when Israel's going to have every bit of that land right to that Euphrates River. And what we're starting to see here in Revelation, and you'll certainly see it when we get in the next couple of chapters, this program's moving directly toward Israel at a rapid pace at this point in the tribulation period. Now, the river is the river the enemies of God are going to cross just before the final conflict that will lead to the Battle of Armageddon that will be just before the millennium. And apparently, what we learn here is there are bound demonic angels that are geographically located somewhere, somewhere near the Euphrates. We don't see them. We don't see the angels in in the church here. We know there's an angel of this church here. We know that there are angels around the people of God. We don't see them. And nobody who goes to look at the Euphrates River is going to see these four either. But they're going to stay bound until this moment of the tribulation. And we know from the book of Daniel that there are territorial angels. And what I mean by that is there are specific angels assigned, apparently, to different geographical locations. How they get that Assignment? I don't know. That's beyond what the scriptures reveal. But the scriptures do reveal that there are these territorial angels. There's an angel, for example, I'm sure connected to the United States, probably multiple angels, and all the other nations of the world, there are angels that are connected to that. And these four are bound at that Euphrates River. Now the second fact is these angels have been prepared for this judgment at this time. Verse 15 said, And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, day, month, and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. Now that's the reason for their existence. I don't know why God didn't throw them in the abyss with the other angels, the other demons. Apparently, the reason he didn't do that is Here's the reason for the existence of these four. These demonic angels are obviously not right with God. They're going to be sovereignly used by God. And God says, I have a mission that they're going to be used for. They're going to carry it out. 
And this mission is going to be in the tribulation period. And until we get to that point in the tribulation period, those four angels are going to be bound. And what we learn from this is that God is completely sovereign over the entire unseen world. He is sovereign over angels that are both godly good angels and evil demonic angels. He can use them for his purposes. He obviously does use them for his purposes here. Now, the third fact is these demonic angels are specifically time-controlled and success-controlled by God. Verse 15, they've been prepared for the hour and day and month and year. They were released so they would kill a third of mankind. Now, these demonic angels are permitted to operate for one year, one month, one day, and one hour. If we do the math on this, Based on a first century 360-day calendar year, these demons would be permitted by God to operate 391 days plus one hour. If we base this on a 365-day calendar, these demons would be permitted by God to operate 395 days plus one hour. So what this tells us is when the tribulation is going on, God has it time-regulated right down to the minute. Everything that's happening in the tribulation is time-regulated by the sovereignty of God. All things, including all humans and all angels, are under the sovereign control of a sovereign God. They're time-regulated by years, months, days, and hours. And that is reinforced by multiple statements. I mean, Job says that concerning the life of a human being. Job says in Job 14.5 that God controls the very days and the months and the years of a person's life. I mean, God has it all spelled out. He has it all laid out. Now, what these demons will be permitted to do in this short period of time, 391 days in an hour or so, they're going to be able to kill one-third of the world's population. They can kill one-third of mankind. That's what God's authorizing them to do at this point in the tribulation period. Now, the numbers of people who will die at this point in the tribulation period will be astronomical. I want you to keep in your mind that at this point in the tribulation, well over one quarter of the world's population is already dead. That happened back in Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 to 8, in that judgment, when God actually killed one quarter of the world's population. There are right now nearly 8 billion people in the world today. So if we use that number of what we have as a population in the world today, in Revelation 6, when one quarter of the world's population was killed, that meant two billion, two billion. Two billion people were killed, leaving six billion people on the earth. Now you get to this judgment, and you have one-third of six billion people who are going to die. That's another two billion people. So by this point in the Great Tribulation, over 4 billion people will have been killed, which turns out to be one half of the world's total population. There has never been a war like that. There's never been a time in history when a war has killed 2 billion people in one year. And there are people who try to argue and say, especially the preterists, who say, well, this just happened in previous history. This describes Rome and Rome attacking Israel. You have two problems if you're going to say this refers to Rome. Problem number one, the Roman army was never 200 million. The Roman army was at best 125,000. And secondly, Rome never killed anywhere close to 2 billion people. But let's take this and put it in the context of the United States. 
In the United States, there are just shy right now of 330 million people who live in the United States, and by this point in the tribulation, over 165 million people will be dead. Let's put this in the state of Michigan. There are 10 million people right now approximately that live in the state of Michigan. At this point in the tribulation, 5 million people will be dead. Let's put it in Kalamazoo County. There are 264,000 plus people who live in Kalamazoo County at this point in the tribulation. 132,000 of those 264,000 will be dead. When this judgment hits in the tribulation in just a little over a year, demons will be authorized to kill people and 2 billion people will die in the world 82.5 million people will die in the United States. 2.5 million people will die in Michigan. And 66,000 will die in Kalamazoo County. Just this one judgment of the tribulation. Which brings us to the fourth observation, and that is the sixth trumpet judgment will feature these four demons controlling a massive, massive military army. Notice verse 16, the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. I think that's critical. And this is how I saw in the vision of the horses and those who sat on them, the riders had breastplates, the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. You show me anywhere in history where anything like that's ever happened. I'll tell you what, I'm trying to be patient with people that are just theologically nuts. But this stuff aggravates me. When somebody says, oh, well, we figured out where this happened. Show me where anything like this has ever happened. Just the description of this stuff. Now, there are many things fascinating about this. We know that at this point in time, the Antichrist is operating in Europe. We're going to meet him in the next couple of chapters because he's moving into Israel. But we know at this point in time, the Antichrist is operating in Europe, and he's Satan's man. What we also know is this is a demonic army here. So you would think that the Antichrist, who is satanic, and the army that's demonic, would all be on the same page and in full support of each other. That's not going to be the case. We learn from Daniel chapter 11 and verse 44 that the Antichrist is going to get wind somewhere in Europe, that something's stirring in the east. He's going to get wind. There's some big movement that's coming from the east, and he will hear rumors that there are things that are coming from the east about to go into Israel. He's going to find that news disturbing. That's what Daniel tells us in Daniel 11.44. And the news is going to trouble him. In fact, according to Daniel 11.45, it'll be that very news that will prompt him to move to the land of Israel. And of course, when he moves to the land of Israel, it'll be just a short period of time until he'll set himself up in the temple and demand that he be worshipped as God in the abomination of desolation. There's an old saying that's very true. There's no honor among thieves. We can take it a little further. There's no honor among demons. There's no honor among Satan and his forces. What this group of demons is doing disturbs and troubles the satanic man. 
Now in verse 16, we learn that these demons are going to round up a killing army that numbers 200 million. The noun armies is plural, meaning that there will be 200 million numbered army that will be demonically controlled by four demons. And I'll tell you, this solves the big issue for me, because John says in verse 16, I heard that number. I heard that number. I didn't count the number, but I heard the number. See, I'll tell you why that's important. Because these people that butcher the book of Revelation say, well, you can't take this stuff literally. Oh, no, this is just symbolic stuff. Okay, well, then you tell John, who's in heaven, or ask him this question. Why'd you say you heard that number if it's not literal? I take this just as literal as John heard it. I think that's what he expects us to do, take this literally. That 200 million man army is going to kill 2 billion people. Now, if you look at a map of the Middle East and you start with Israel and you head east, you come to Iraq and then you come to Iran and then you come to Afghanistan to the north and Pakistan to the south and then you come to China to the north and India to the south. And when you get east of the Euphrates... There's always stirring and unrest among fanatical, emotional people, which to this point has been pretty much held in check. What is going to happen here at this point in the tribulation period is these demons are going to draw together a massive 200 million man army that will destroy one third of the world's population that's left. And when you think of the countries we just mentioned, I mean, you think of Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Pakistan, China, India, the 200 million man army is very reachable, very doable. I mean, that's certainly not beyond the realm of fact. And we believe it is a literal number. And when John says, I heard that number, then boy, you better take it seriously because here's John in heaven. John's in heaven. He said, that's the number of what I heard this army is going to total. That's the number that's been calculated. So I assume it's a literal number. Now, the Bible is clear that no prophecy of Scripture is a private interpretation. And what that means is prophecy will always correspond with other truth that pertains to that prophecy. And I don't have time to take you there tonight, but if you go to the book of Isaiah in chapter 5, verses 25 to 30, you will discover there is a prediction that Isaiah makes in Isaiah chapter 5 that God is going to bring a massive, distant military group against Israel, and they're going to come into that land with rapid speed. And we believe the ultimate fulfillment of that is right here in Revelation. Now, the big interpretive matter here is whether or not you're talking about a literal army of men or you're talking about a literal group of demons. Dr. John Wolver believed that this was a literal army of men. In fact, he quotes an article that was taken from Time magazine back in 1965 in which Red China claimed they could literally field an army of 200 million men then. Dr. Alan Johnson believed it's an army of demons. He bases the view on the description we're about to look at and the difficulty he thought of getting the number of military into one area. I believe it's a combination of both. I think what you have here is you have demons that are released at this point and they go out and they take residency in men. You have literal men that are being used here in the slaughter of people, but you have those literal men being indwelt and directed by literal demons. And in fact, we know that demon worship is something very prominent in the tribulation period. Grant Osborne said this is an unbelievably huge and terrifying demonic cavalry. It will be an unstoppable force. Now when you analyze verses 16 to 17, you do see there are men and horses there because they're called horsemen. 
Verse 16 says the number of armies of the horsemen. So they're called horsemen. However, what we also observe is these aren't normal horses. I mean, when you look down through, you're saying this is, uh, boy, this is not the normal horse thing that you read about when you read about horses. These are some very unusual things here that these horsemen are riding. And God has often used horses in his plan to do things. When Elijah was taken into heaven, you had horses that were involved there, and you had whirlwind that was involved there. I mean, that's nothing for God to do. And we know when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, we'll see it later in this book of Revelation, there are going to be horses involved in bringing the believers back with him. There are five features that are unusual here. These horses have riders on them. That's not unusual. Verse 17 said, This is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. So it's not unusual that the horses have riders. Each horse has a rider. The second feature about it is the riders have colorful breastplates. Verse 17, And those who sat on them, the riders had breastplates, the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. And what caught John's eye is those colorful breastplates that each rider had. Now, normally, when a soldier goes to war, they wear camo clothing. I mean, when a soldier goes out to fight, they don't want to stand out as a target. This army doesn't care. This army wants everybody to see them. I mean, what they're wearing in these breastplates just lights up. They have fiery red. That would be the reference to the breastplate of fire. They also have that hyacinth, which would be a blue color. And then they have yellow, which is a brimstone type of color. So each rider on that horse is wearing that. They don't care who sees them because they're not going to be beat. And they understand that at this point. Now, the third feature is these horses had heads as vicious as a lion. Obviously, it's not a normal horse because the text says, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. I mean, that is not normal. That's not a way a normal horse looks. And then fourthly, these horses have mouths that unleash fire and brimstone that have the power to kill people. You're talking here almost like a description of a fire-breathing dragon. Because the text says, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. These horses have killing power. What's amazing is that you have this 200 million man army riding these horses. They don't even need weapons. Their horse is the weapon. It's the horse they're riding that has the power to kill. And the fire and the smoke and the brimstone comes out of the horse's mouths and that's going to kill. Again, it's almost like they're riding some type of fire-breathing dragon type of horse. And it's going to bring some type of burning death. I mean, when you have that language there, out of their mouth comes fire and brimstone. You're talking about some type of brutal burning death that's going to kill one-third of the remaining world population. Two billion people are going to be killed at this judgment. The fifth feature is the horses have tails that are like serpents. Verse 19 says, And their tails are like serpents, and have heads which they do harm. I mean, their tails are going to be a weapon. So you have the horse's mouth, which is a vicious weapon that can rip people to shreds, and then you have a tail that can kill people like a snake. I mean, so these demonic horses that these riders are riding on, this 200 million man army is riding on, they're able to kill people from front and back. And that's what they're authorized to do, by the way. They are authorized at this point in the tribulation to go out and kill people. In verse 20 makes it clear that these tribulation judgments and plagues are designed to kill, and at this point in the tribulation period, over 4 billion people are dead. 4 billion people are dead. The people who are yet alive 
know, and they knew it from the first six seal judgments, this is the wrath of God. And the people who are still alive realize we've just been attacked by demons. They understand that. You would think that that would prompt somebody to say, you know what, we're losing this thing. Maybe we ought to cry out to God for forgiveness and salvation. Maybe we ought to turn to the Lord and ask him to deliver us. I mean, but just like the Egyptians who saw plagues and would not repent, neither will most of the world. They won't repent. And when he uses that verb repent, they did not repent. It's the same word metanoia, which means they wouldn't change their thinking. They wouldn't change their thinking about their sin. They wouldn't change their thinking about God's wrath. They would not change their thinking about Jesus Christ. And they would not change their thinking about God's salvation. So when you think about that, you say, my goodness, they deserve this. After all God has offered them, they deserve this. Now, in the aftermath of saying they did not repent, John is going to give a list here of seven evils that men will be involved in. And I want to talk about these evils for a minute. I don't think we want to be setting dates. We never want to do that for the rapture of the church because we don't know. We don't know when the rapture is going to occur. And I do think that when we try to say, okay, I think it could happen at this point in time, the danger of that is people that hear us and it doesn't happen for a while say, well, then why should we believe them on any other thing they talk about the Bible? I think that's the danger of that. However, having said that, you cannot deny when we go down through this list that we're about to go through that there has been an escalation of the things that are on this list that is dominant right now in this world like we've never seen. Which would seem to suggest that the clouds are rapidly forming for the kinds of things that are going to happen right here. Now, if that's true, if the clouds are forming for the kinds of things that are going to happen here, then we know these things don't happen till about three years into the tribulation. How close must we be to the rapture of the church? But there are seven specific evils that men will not repent of. Even those that have made it this far through the tribulation. Number one, they will not repent of their work system. Verse 20 says, they did not repent of the works of their hands. I'm telling you. Religious people are just the toughest nuts to crack. They are proud of their works. I mean, they love themselves. They love their works. And they're not about to realize your works is not going to be good enough for God. They just they won't admit that. And people will still trust in themselves. And they'll still trust in their works to make it. That's what they're doing here in the tribulation. And we're at a time here when God is pouring out his wrath on people who haven't trusted Jesus Christ, and they're still trusting in their works. That's how diabolical this work stuff is. There will still be people in religions in the world, in the tribulation, and those religions are going to continue to postulate that if you follow our codes and you follow our traditions and you follow our works, you're going to make it to the end. You're going to be okay. Their work system is the reason for the wrath of God. They would not trust Jesus Christ. 
And during the tribulation, there will be trust in works. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, we're right now seeing an escalation of things that are happening in the religious world where not only are people trusting in their works, they're trusting in the God they're making up in their own minds. God loves us because I'm not so bad. Yeah, he loves me just the way I am. He doesn't care what I believe or what I do. Yeah, he's gracious and tolerant, and therefore I don't really even need to know him. I mean, that's the faulty mindset of people. Their works they trust in. Second evil, they'll not repent of their demon worship. Verse 20 says, and not to worship demons. Now, it's interesting in Greek that there's an article before demons, which literally reads the demons, and I understand the demons that just got done doing what they did. It's an article of what I call previous reference. In other words, the demonic army that just actually caused those people to be tormented with that sting that they gave them in the first part of chapter 9 and then just killed 2 billion people, these people are worshiping them. These people are worshiping Satan. As we've pointed out, demons are not people's friends. Satan is not people's friend. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a murderer. He's a vicious killer. And yet, notice, people would rather worship them than God. And I really believe you're going to see as the clouds continue to form, more and more of these demon movies and these occult things are going to surface. You're going to see that more and more and more come into play as we near these very things. The third evil that's mentioned, they won't repent of their idolatries. That's what it says there in the middle of verse 20, and they won't repent of their idols of gold and silver and brass and stone. I mean, people will worship anything but God. They'll worship their money. They'll worship power. People will worship themselves, they'll worship fame, possessions, pleasure. They'll worship all kinds of things other than God. And you would think by this point in the tribulation period, these people would realize it's not getting us anywhere because what is happening here is that we are experiencing the wrath of God, but they still won't worship God. They still will continue to think the way they think. Then the text says they'll not repent of their murders. That's what the text says. They did not repent of their murders. We're living in dangerous times. I mean, don't you sense the fact that, boy, we're hearing about more killings and murders than we've ever heard before? It's like it's not even really shocking to us anymore. Well, as you near this point in time, God is just basically releasing things that are turning people to become what they want to become and murder is going to increase and when you get at this point in the tribulation it'll dominate the tribulation murder will just be the common norm then they'll not repent of their sorcery and i want to talk about that verse 21 nor of their sorceries the word sorcery here is pharmacon from which we get our english word pharmaceutical it's a word that has to do with drugs i think one of the things you're going to see is more and more people are going to turn to drugs. Drugs connects people to the demonic world. There's a connection between drugs and demons. And drugs connects people to the demonic world. And I think what you're going to see as we continue to move toward this event is more and more people are going to get on these mind-altering drugs. Now it's even being given to kids. Put them on the antidepressants. Put them on the drugs. This isn't opening their minds up to God. 
This thing is moving them away from God. That's what it'll do. In fact, it'll move them into a world they don't even want to go. But as the tribulation continues to develop, there's going to be more and more sorcery. There will be more and more use of drugs. And I just heard a sheriff in Idaho say that drugs is now a big problem in Idaho coming across the border down in Mexico. And the person who was interviewing them said, yeah, but Idaho is way up north. They said they're coming straight up I-15. They're coming straight up I-15. They're coming out of Mexico. And he said, we've got a big drug problem here. He said, it's rampant in the state of Idaho. So this drug problem is going to be something that's going to intensify until it reaches this point in the tribulation period. And people are not going to turn away from it. I mean, try to talk somebody today to turning away from drugs. See how far you get with it. Don't take those antidepressants anymore. It messes up your mind. Okay. Guess you're right. I won't do it. Yeah, see how much success you have when you counsel someone to open their minds up to the things of God and get away from that stuff. And then they won't repent of their immorality. That's mentioned there in verse 21. They won't repent of their immorality. Immorality. We're going to new levels of immorality, the likes of which we've never seen. I mean, it's not so much the immorality hasn't been there. When we went through Deuteronomy, my goodness, you covered about every imaginable immoral sin that you could name. I mean, it's all there in the book of Deuteronomy. What is different today is it's flaunted. It's flaunted as if there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's heralded. It's praised as if it's something good. That kind of thing is going to intensify, and finally, men will not repent of their thievery. There's going to be thefts that are going to intensify. I mean, we have it right in downtown Kalamazoo. People just breaking into stores, breaking open Windows going in, taking what they want, stealing, looting. I mean, who would ever think you'd have to have armed security in a church? We've been here over 20 years, 22 years. When we started here, man, we were down there in that chapel, and there were times I'd go into the chapel down there early in the morning, didn't even lock the door. I mean, I'd just come in here and go into my office, and then at that time Ruth would come in later, and I didn't even bother to lock the door half the time. Not anymore. Not anymore. These are perilous times we're living in. And these times are indicative of the fact we're moving toward the wrath judgment of God. And these are the kinds of things that are going to intensify right up until the rapture. And after the rapture, they'll dominate the world. And most people will be so calloused and so hard-hearted that even when they know these judgments are coming straight from God out of heaven. They will not repent. So you know what I say to this depraved world? You deserve every bit of what God's going to give you. You deserve every bit of it. You've earned it. You've earned it by your hatred of him. You've earned it by your hatred of his son. By your hatred of the word of God. You've earned the wrath of God. Let's pray. If you've never believed in Jesus Christ, don't leave here tonight without settling that issue. That horn that you saw in Revelation tonight is representative of the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ gave for you and for me and for all of us. And if you reject that sacrifice, you will experience the wrath of God. So accept the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done, and you never have to worry about that. Right where you sit, just admit the truth that you're a sinner. Invite Jesus Christ into your life to be your Savior. 
Our Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for the surety of it. Lord, we go through this passage of scripture and we know that what you're going to do is catastrophic. It's never been done anywhere in history. We suspect we're nearing the hour, although we certainly don't want to be fanatical date setters. We certainly want to be wise and be able to read the seasons. And as we see things that are taking shape in this world, it would appear to us that we're nearing the time when it's going to bust loose full force. We pray you come get us soon. In the meantime, as we wait for that blessed moment, we would ask that we would be faithful people who would be dedicated to carefully understanding and accurately communicating your truth to others. In Jesus' name, amen.